Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Hey, I just found out something a couple days ago that was really interesting. I want to just share it with you before, before we get into our lesson tonight. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Satan is a prince of the power of the air. He rules over kingdoms. We know he does because when he was tempting Jesus, he said, what, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you the kingdoms. Jesus didn't dispute that with him. He didn't say, no, you don't have the authority. Yes, he does. So he is controlling the universe, the, the globe, not the universe, the global, you know. So we have a global, globalism, a global power. How many know we have a deep state? <laughs> Do you know, and you've probably seen this on the news, now they're talking about a new COVID. You know, it's a new COVID. You may have to be masked again. You probably get those shots, new shots. You're going to need those new shots. We may need to do this. We may need to sh- shut the churches down in you know, a way, you know. Do you know that that new COVID has a name? Did you know that? It has a name. The name is, the new virus is called Eris. E-R-I-S, Eris. And do you know who Eris was? Eris was a Greek goddess, and the word, and get this now, the word means strife and discord. Wow. A new, a new virus named Eris that brings strife and discord. It means disagreement, contention, debate, variance, rivalry, and wrangling. The opposite of that is harmony. Uh, I'm just saying this. We need to be aware of what's happening in our world, in our nation, in our city, and even in our churches, and in your families. Strife and discord. Because the enemy could use this to bring things in our particular families, people we love and all, strife and discord. So we'll just be aware there's this new virus called Eris. You'll probably hear more about it. And we need to stand in faith and obedience to God's word and come against that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, uh, Acts 25, 26 tonight, and then next Wednesday uh, will be Acts 27 and 28, and that will end it. Jeff Mudro will be here to, to close us out. So if you have your Bibles, and I don't know if we have overheads or not, but I want to go back and segue off of what Elizabeth said last week in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 through 26. Acts 24, verses 24 through 26 from last week. You'll probably remember this. It says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. Say, Drusilla. Who was a Jewess. A Jewess. She was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on three things. He discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment. Not just judgment, but the judgment. Felix was afraid and said, well, that's enough, and that's enough. You may leave. And when I, when I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping... Politics as usual. He was hoping that Paul would offer him what? A bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. You know what? Samson said what? There's nothing new 
politics as usual. Can you imagine anyone asking for a bribe, asking for money to give a political favor? Can you, does anyone come to your mind? I don't know of anyone. I, I, I don't know of anyone. Politics as usual. Who do such a thing? Who was Felix? I think in the bulletin I said, Paul's going to wrestle with the three stooges. Well, this is the first of three stooges. It was a, it was a, a comedy of errors, you know. Who was Felix? You've got to listen to this now. Antonius Felix was formerly a slave but was promoted by Claudius Caesar to the office of vice president. No, I'm sorry, office of governor. The Roman historian Tacitus described Felix as, listen now, cruel, licentious, and base. While in Judea, Felix was attracted to Drusilla, a daughter of Herod Agrippa. The fact that Drusilla was already married made no difference to Felix. He enticed her away from her husband, Azizus, and they were married. So we're talking about some characters here that are base in base in nature, beginning with Felix. So as Paul was before Felix, talking about his faith and preaching to him about what three things? righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Perhaps the conversation went something like this. Oh, Felix, you are such a great man of responsibility, and, and you as governor of Judea have a tremendous weight on your shoulders. I'm, I'm sure you must face many trials and temptation, and it's understandable that you might slip and fall every now and then, but, but basically, really, Felix, it happens to the best of us. No one faults you for visiting Epstein Island every now and then. And I'm sure that God will forgive you for all your lust and licentiousness. After all, our God is such a good God. How many think that might be how the conversation went? I don't think so. Maybe it went more like this. Felix, I want to share with you how I came to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for my sins. He was crucified, died, buried, and rose from the dead. And I have asked him into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. But Felix, I need to be up front with you and tell you something. As a governor of Judea, you need to be a righteous leader. There's where righteousness comes in. A righteous leader because the word of God says that righteousness does what? It exalts a nation. You need to be honest and upright and treat people with honor and respect also. Also, Felix, now... Listen to me now. You need to practice some self-control. You need to be righteous and practice self-control in your life and not indulge in fleshy desires and sexual sins. God will hold you accountable for those sins if you keep, that you commit in the flesh. And, and, and Felix, let me be very clear about this. Listen to me now. If you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will face God's final judgment and you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. The conversation probably didn't go quite like that. But you know what I believe? I believe that whatever Paul did, he spoke the truth in love to Felix and challenged him to change his way of living. I believe that Paul told him there's a God in heaven who loved him, that Paul didn't compromise or water down the truth of the gospel. Oh, that we had men and women today who would speak the truth of the gospel to political leaders and those in high government places. No compromise. Not politics, not watered-down message, but speak the truth in love. Can I hear an amen? amen. That's, what, that's what Paul did. He spoke the truth in love. And then Acts 2.27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, 
But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Republican, I mean, the Democratic, no, I mean, the independent, no, wait, wait, the party, hardy, party, I don't, it was to the Jews. Okay, the Jews. Did I mention politics as usual? <laughs> because he wanted to do a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. In other words, Felix had no care to our backbone. He was in it for himself, and he's the first of the three stooges that, <laughs> that Paul had to deal with. So now we're in Acts chapter 25. Acts 25, verses 1 through 5. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now, where Caesarea was, it was lower. Jerusalem was up on a hill. So when it says they went up from Caesarea, lower area, up to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented a charge against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Washington, I mean to Jerusalem. For they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Remember back in the few chapters before, there was 40 people, 40 people that were going to ambush Paul and take his life. So, so, so the Jews are still scheming because uh, Festus was new. And, and they thought they could maybe talk Festus into having Paul come from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And the plot was they're going to kill him along the way. For they were preparing an ambush to kill him. Festus answered, well, Paul's being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. So Festus was new. He was a, he was a new politician in the area. So the Jews are thinking, well, we, we need to get Festus on our side. And Festus is thinking, well, I'm new to the territory, and the last thing I want is to get the Jews upset. So I will try to curry their favor. So they thought, well, he can curry our favor by letting Paul, sending Paul from Caesarea to be tried in Jerusalem. Acts 25, 6 and 7. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down back from Jerusalem, went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered Paul to be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many serious charges which they could not prove. How many know that the enemy does that to us all the time? He brings charge against us which he cannot prove. He's always going before the Lord saying, you know, uh, uh, they did this and they did that and uh, this is happening to them and are you watching this God? And so we th- thank God we have an advocate in heaven. Who's his name? Jesus that lifts up his nail-scarred hands and he simply in our defense says, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. At this point I was going to talk about judgment seat of Christ but I think I'm going to come back to that if we have time. For when it says he convened the court, another translation says he, Festus, took his seat on the tribunal. The King James says, the next day sitting on the judgment seat commanded Paul to be brought. The word judgment seat, when it says convene the court, is the word bema. Maybe we should go there for a little bit. How many know what the bema is? The judgment seat of Christ. There are two main judgments that the world's going to face. You know what they are? One is called the judgment seat of Christ. 
And what's the other one called? The Great White Throne Judgment. Okay. Are Christians being judged for their sins at the judgment seat of Christ? Are they being judged as to whether they go to heaven or not? What, what do you think, Christina? Okay. So, so when we come before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged as to whether we're going to heaven or not. Hallelujah. That was taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are on our way to heaven if we're facing the judgment seat. How about the great white throne judgment? Revelation chapter 20, about that area right there. The great white throne judgment, you remember how that goes? The, uh, the writer of Revelation saying, well, they saw this great white throne and him who sat upon it, whose face others had fled away. And, and in one side of the, the throne was a book called the Book of Life, the Lamb's Book of Life. And the other was books, plural, many books. One book, Book of Life, many books, plural. And what did the author say? And if a person's name was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they were you know, cast into a lake of fire. You know, thank God we are not facing that judgment. When we accept it, you know, did you see what happened Sunday? Who was it, Savannah? This beautiful young lady just receiving Jesus Christ, people being filled with the Spirit. When we come to Christ, we will not face that judgment. Our sins were taken upon Jesus Christ at the cross. In fact, this becomes Paul's message that we're going to find out in just a little bit. This is his message to King Festus and King Agrippa that he came to Jesus Christ on his way to Damascus to, to persecute the Christians. He was blinded, but then he got his vision. He saw the light. Hallelujah. So there is a great, there is a great white throne judgment. We're not facing that. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. But we will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me just share this a little bit, then we'll get back into Acts. Matthew 27, 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. <laughs> Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal because of a dream I had about him. He was on judgment seat. Romans 14, 10. You then, why do you judge your brother now? For we will all stand, say all stand. All stand before the judgment, God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all, say all, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And remember, this is written to us Christians. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 3.12-15. If any man builds this foundation, the foundation being Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now, this is where we fit in. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of ourselves. We are. For what we've done in this flesh, in this life, and, uh, and there's six things we can build on as we stand before Jesus Christ. What, what are those six things representative of? There's gold, silver, and what? Precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And the writer, Paul says, you know what's going to happen? 
If what you have done for Jesus in this life, what you've done is gold, silver, precious stones, it's not going to be a burn up. You're going to receive reward. What, let's just talk a little bit. What, what represents gold, silver, precious stones? What in our life represents gold, silver, precious stones? What is it? Our faith, good, one. What else? What is it? Friendship, service to the Lord, sharing the gospel, the poor. Yeah, reaching out to those in need, loving one another, and our motives. What is our motives for serving Jesus Christ? The good motives, all these things are goals of our precious stone. And whatever, whatever the Lord uses as a test, a fire to test what that's made out of, if it's done for Jesus Christ and our motive is right, it can't burn up. It'll last. And then there's wood, hay, stubble. Wow. Wood, hay, stubble. You, you put a match to it, what happens? It, phew, you just burn up. What could be, what could be wood, hay, stubble in our lives? What could be wood, hay, stubble? Okay. What else? What is it? Action to the flesh? Good. What else? Disobedience. Big time. Ego. Wait a minute. Ego. Are you talking about Ego. Motives. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Would he stubble? Well, I should receive a reward because I sing in the choir every Sunday. Praise God. I'm glad. Because I want to be seen by men. I want them to know I have a great voice. What, what, what's your motive? Okay, is it to serve Jesus Christ or is it to serve yourself? That's wood, hay, stubble. But if we come before the Lord, we love in Jesus, we're loving each other, our motives are pure, our one desire to serve Jesus Christ more than anything else and to serve others and to love those that God said we should be loving on, gold, silver, precious stones. So there's coming a day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And if what has been built survives, I don't like that. <laughs> if what we have built survives, we'll receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but just as one's escaping through the flame, just barely saved. So it's possible that all we've worked for, a good part of our life, can come right down to it can be burned up and lost. We'll still make it to heaven. We'll still make it to heaven. Judgment seat of Christ. Hallelujah. It's coming. The day is coming. Now, Paul was talking about a day of judgment to King, to, Q, to Felix. And he got, he got afraid. He said, I don't want to talk to him more. Get out of here. I'll bring you back when I'm ready. Let's go back to Acts. Then Paul made this defense. Acts 25, verse 8 through 12. I have done nothing wrong against, there's three things that Paul says, I have done nothing wrong against. I don't know if it's up there. I have done nothing against the law of the Jews, against the temple, or against Caesar. And my question is, why did Paul make a defense in those three areas? Can you remember the teaching we may have had before? Why did he say, nope? I had nothing wrong with the law of Moses, the law of Jews, against the temple or against Caesar. Why would you bring those three things out? 
what did the Jews accuse him of? They're breaking accusation against Paul in three areas. Well, number one, he's not following the law of Moses. He's breaking the law of Moses, number one. Number two, he's desecrating the temple by bringing uh, Gentiles in there. And number three, Festus, you need to do this, number three, he's starting riots against Rome. He's, 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 uh, he's, he's talking up riots against the Roman government. Those three areas. Okay, so Paul comes out, and he's defending himself. And he says, I have done nothing wrong. I haven't done anything against the law of Jews, against the temple, or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, say politics as usual, politics as usual, <laughs> said to Paul, well, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything that deserves death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. All right, now come and use your, put your thinking caps on. Why could Paul say, no one, talking about the Jews, no one has a right to do this, no one has a right to take me back to Jerusalem to try me there for what reason? One reason. Who said that? He's a Roman citizen. They couldn't do it. They had no right. No one has a right, he said. <laughs> I appeal to Caesar. Well, after Festus had conferred, conferred with his counsel, he declared, hot diggity dog, hallelujah. Paul was giving me a headache etc heading this long but now he's going to appeal to caesar all right okay paul if you appeal to caesar to caesar going to go now comes the next cast of characters acts 25 13 through 15 a few days later king agrippa and bernice say king agrippa and bernice arrived at caesarea to pay their respects to festus festus was new he would be under King Agrippa. They want to make sure he was doing okay. He was handling the situations there with all the Jews. He came to pay his respects. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders and the Jews brought him charges against him and asked that he be condemned. Verse 25, 16 through 22. I told them, it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had the opportunity to defend himself against their charges. Verse 17. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, now what were the three charges that his accusers made before him? The three charges, breaking the law, desecrating the temple, and plotting against Rome. That was their original charges. 
But when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any crime they expected. Instead, this is important. We're coming down to the real reason that they wanted to kill Jesus the real, or, or kill Paul, the real reason. It's the same reason today that a lot of times they don't want you to talk about Jesus. I know in the, the service I was in, they got to a place that chaplains couldn't even pray in the name of Jesus. They don't want Jesus in here. They don't want to talk about Jesus. Now listen to what they were mad at. Not he broke the law he desecrated the temple. He's causing riots here. This is it. This is the crux. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion. And listen, and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. That is what got them upset. He's claiming this Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and was raised to life again. And that's what got the Jews mad. They Paul's claim that Jesus is alive. I was at a loss on how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial for these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. And he replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Well, the plot thickens. we got this cast of characters. So the question is, who was King Agrippa and his wife, Bernice? This is really interesting stuff. So I'm going to read from the book, Acts, the Church of Fire. Acts 26 records Paul's sanity, <laughs> sanity being questioned. Besides the great apostle, the cast of characters in this divinely orchestrated drama includes Festus, whom he met in Acts 25, and Agrippa and Bernice, a couple who were even more unsavory than Felix and Drusilla. Now listen to how unsavory this is really going to get. So King Agrippa II was the latest of the Herod dynasty, the last of the Herods to meddle with Christ or his followers. His great-grandfather was King Herod, who had feared the birth of the Christ child and murdered the male children in the vicinity of Bethlehem. This is a wonderful family. The grand uncle Agrippa II had murdered John the Baptist and his father. Agrippa I had executed John and imprisoned Peter and was eaten with worms as a punishment for allowing people to worship him as though he were a god. With Agrippa was Bernie, say Bernie's. His sister, his sister, who was one year younger. She had once been engaged to Marcus, a nephew of the philosopher Philo. She then married her uncle, Herod, king of Chalicics. But now she was living incestuously with her full-blood brother Agrippa. So notorious was her conduct and when she later became the Emperor Titus's mistress, he had to send her away because of the moral outcry of pagan Rome. Agrippa and Bernice were six sin-infested couple. So, wow. Paul's dealing with some real crazy people. My goodness. So now King Agrippa, he's in, he's in, he's in the mix now. Acts 25, 23. The next day... 
Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, say great pomp, and entered the audience room with high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Festus, Paul was brought in. Now, this is interesting. The phrase with great pomp comes from the Greek word fantasia, from which we derive our word, English word fantasy. You got to get this now. So with this great pomp, they're coming in with all kinds of regalia, people, dozens, dozens, and dozens, great, great pomp and circumstance, and it's a word for fantasy. Certainly the event <laughs> was something of a fantasy. Agrippa and Bernice arrayed in purple, Festus in red, the Chiliarchs were commander of thousands, they were rigid legionnaires, manipulative politicians, and Paul appeared even smaller and more insignificant in his manacles and humble dress. The scene was carefully constructed to intimidate. So here's little Paul against all this. So what Agrippa obviously did, besides the commanders and the legionnaires and politicians, you know, the typical politician thing, it's like you see them sometimes coming out of the, the chambers, you know, this, this whole group coming together. You know, it's just like a, a, a parade sometimes. And, and probably including that, you have to understand what, what's, what's going on here because uh, Agrippa had to respond to a question Paul asked, that probably there are many young men that were meant to be mentored by Agrippa to become leaders in, in, in the polit- political world. So this is all happening. And I found this very interesting. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul describes his own appearance as being physically weak. Historians verify he was a short man <laughs> with bowed legs, a long hooked nose, little hair, and runny eyes. Now, Paul and I have something in common. It's, it's not bald. I'm not short. I don't have bow legs. But there's something about my nose that I relate really well to this guy named Paul. One commentator said, But the apostle Paul, mighty in the Lord, towered above the king and governor and their petty dignitaries. This is just what Paul had longed for during his bleak two years in prison a knowledgeable justice, and a non-antagonistic audience before whom he would make his case. Speaking with remarkable optimism and favor, Paul's speech was not so much a personal defense as a positive presentation of the gospel and evangelistic appeal. So you, you have to see this now. Oh, by the way, do you know Paul's Roman name, Apollos, means small? So here's, here's little Paul. This is so great. Here's little Paul. Runny nose, hooked nose, bald, short, bow-legged, coming with manacles on his hands, you know, being led before King Agrippa. And here's all that entourage of people that came with King Agrippa. And Paul's there, and he loves it. Why? Number one, he knows Agrippa is familiar with Jewish Things. He's part Jewish himself. Drusilla, now Bernice is part Jewish. So they understood the things that concerned the law and the politics and all that. And, and second of all, uh, it, was a, it was not an antagonistic crowd. There wasn't a Jew among them, you know. So he's talking to these hundreds or more, and he's happy about it. 
because they're not antagonistic, and he knows that, that Agrippa is a, is a judge and understands the politics of the Jews. Well, so here's one man against the whole crowd, and here's what he does. Acts 25, 24 to 27. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he should no longer live. I found he had done nothing wrong, deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. There's a reason why Festus wanted King Agrippa to come and to interview Paul and see what's going on because what Festus was saying was, I, I don't really have all the information I need. I have it in your notes here. In other words, I'm at a loss at what to say. I don't know what to charge him with. I don't know what kind of defense to make for him. I don't want to upset the Jewish population, but I really need some help to give me some advice on how to write a good document for Emperor Caesar. That's what he's wanting. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it unreasonable to send a prisoner on without specifying charges against him. In other words, Festus knew Caesar's not going to be happy if he sends this man without proper documentation. So he's hoping, King Agrippa, if you could just help me out, help me know what to write. So when I send him to Caesar, it'll be okay. That's, that's his purpose. Now we're going to Acts 26. 26, verse 1 through 3. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, you guys hear hear what Paul was saying. Another translation. In other words, Paul was saying, this might take a little while, but give me some time to explain my situation to you. Commentary. Being half Jew and half Edomite, the Herods had a tremendous fascination with all things Jewish. They studied Judaism. They read Jewish history. They were so intrigued by Jewish culture. Paul knew this. Basically, Paul is saying, you know, I'm happy to talk with you, King Agrippa, because I know you understand our culture, our traditions, and our religion. So, here's a note. So, chapter 26, verses 4 through 18, you know the story. He's sharing the story of what happened to him on his way to Damascus. And he's saying, you know, there was a time I was out there persecuting Christians. I was going from town to town. I put them into prison. They were being killed. Oh, you know, because I thought they were desecrating, you know, the, the law of Moses and, and, and not following God. And so I, I, I was out there killing them all. And then, and then I was on my way to Damascus. And, and right there as I was going to Damascus to persecute the Christians, a bright light, brighter than the stars, a bright light came and knocked us all down. And I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you kick against the 
goads. Interesting. Why do you kick against the goads? I was studying that. And one translation said this. Why are you kicking against your destination? Paul, why, why are you kicking? We know what a goat is. It's a prod. You've heard of these cattle prods, you know. Sharp stick. If you don't get going, you, you prod them. And so Jesus says to, 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 to Paul, why are you kicking against the goats? You're, you're going to get hurt. And I thought, you know, sometimes we're, we're in the same boat that God has a destination for us. God has a reason for us. God's appointed us to do something for his kingdom. God is gifting us. God is calling us. God knows what he wants in our lives. He, he knows where we, he wants to put us, where he wants us to go. It's a destination that God has for each one of us. And we need to not kick against those spiritual prods. We need to find out what God wants in our life and go for it. So Jesus says, why are you kicking against the codes? And so he's telling this story, this whole story, you can read it for yourself, to Agrippa. And everything was going good. Everyone was listening, okay, until everyone was looking. All these people listening to the story of Paul probably just nodding their head. Yeah, okay, the bright light. Okay, we understand that. Okay, kicking us to pricks. All right, we understand that too, Lord. Yeah, they're all with it until this happened. Verse 22 and 23. But I have had God's help to this very day, and I stand here and testify to both the small and great alike. So kings and those that came in with the kings and maybe the servants here and the legionnaires and there's commanders over here and there's captains, maybe there's some privates over here. I don't know. I'm testifying before all. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen and here's what got him upset again. Same thing. That Christ should suffer and what? As the first to what? Rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. It all broke loose. And at that point, Festus interrupts Paul's defense. He said, you're out of your mind. Paul, he shouted, you're a man of great learning and your great learning is driving you insane. It was okay. It was okay. Until he talks about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. It was okay until then. And here's some other translations on what happened. One translation says, Paul, you're a real nutcase. <laughs> Paul, you are raving mad. You're going crazy, Paul. Uh, what, caused, what caused Festus shout you out of your mind is because Festus, this is important now, and I want you to think, not what happened 2,000 years ago, but think what's happening today in our government, in our government. Festus being first and last a politician, worshipped power, and was a practical materialist. A sensible Roman, he could not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Everything's, you know, and it's the trouble today. Everything's okay until you start talking about this Jesus who died on the cross didn't just die, wasn't just buried, but what else? He arose. He arose. At that, people just seemed to chaff 
It's a fact that a man rose from the dead, but, you know, Paul didn't back down. Paul didn't back down. He didn't say, oh, we got, I, forgive me, I, I, I didn't mean to upset you. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, Vessel. You know, I'll just go back into my cell. I'll just cry a little bit. No, listen to what Paul said. He said, I am, verse 25, 27, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul said. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king, now get this, he's talked to, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, oh, here we go. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. In other words, he's saying, do you believe what the prophets foretold about the coming of Messiah that would die for our sins and be raised from the dead? You remember those prophecies, don't you, King Agrippa? Now that's, <laughs> that's putting King Agrippa in a real predicament. Keep, keep in mind that Paul is asking King Agrippa this in front of the entire group, military commanders, legionnaires, politicians, servants, young men being mentored, Agrippa, various dignitaries. They all listen intently to Paul's question to Agrippa. They're waiting. Paul says, King Agrippa, you do believe, don't you, what the prophet said? He, had a, he, he couldn't deny that. But what's he going to answer? Everybody's going, how is King Agrippa going to answer this? You, know? you do believe that, don't you, King Agrippa? It was an embarrassing situation. Agrippa was caught off guard. And was embarrassed. His public image would require him to say he believed in the prophets. But he saw where Paul was taking him and did not want to go there. So he parried Paul's question with a clever, though rather inane or silly counter question. So this is famous. You heard this all along. So King Agrippa says, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now, how did he respond? Paul, you, you really think in such a short time you can convince me to be a Christian? Really, Paul? Was it that type of response? Probably not. Most commentators think it was more like, oh, Paul, come on now. You, in fact, I'll read some translations to you. This is interesting. So, do you think that in such a short, short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? One says, at this, at this rate, it won't be long before you believe, you believe you have made a Christian out of me. No translation. You are with a little effort convincing enough to make me a Christian. Three, you think it a small task to make a Christian of me just offhand to induce me with a little ado and persuasion at very little notice? No, with a little effort, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So most commentators believe that it was not a harsh, are you kidding me? What are you doing? It's more trying to light. Really, Paul, you think? Yeah. Now, was he saying, I almost became a Christian? Probably not. But he's making kind of light as much as he can because of the situation. And here's this great Paul. We're almost done here. Act 26, 29. Paul replied, short time or long. I pray that God not only will give you, but all who are listening to me today, uh, except I pray God not only you, 
but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except in these chains. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, God. And then as we end, the king rose, with him the governor and Bernice. They rose. And those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, this man is doing not, doing, not doing anything deserving of death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, you know what? This man could be free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Let me close with this. The story is told of a, a computer whiz. A Boy Scout and a minister were flying in a three-passenger plane. The pilot said, it's not looking good, guys. Our engines are cutting out, and we're going down. The problem is we only have three parachutes, and I'm taking one. Realizing one of them would be left behind, the passengers looked at each other, and immediately the computer whiz grabbed a chute, calling out, sorry, guys, but I've got to take this because I'm the smartest man in the world as he jumped out the door. The minister then turned to the Boy Scout and said, Well, I've had a good life. The Lord is real to me. I know I'm going to heaven, so you go ahead and take the last shoot. I'll go down with the plane. That won't be necessary, said the Boy Scout. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> so Agrippa, Agrippa could have responded to the word that Paul preached but instead, he grabbed the bag. It says, Bernice. <laughs> he grabbed the bag, Bernice, and took off without giving his heart to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Interesting chapters. Two chapters left. Sometimes it's hard to pull out things from these chapters that are applicable today. But you know what? Paul's an example for us that we don't get intimidated when we stand against people who don't believe the way we believe, who may be mocking us. Um, how many of you know Oswald, Oswaldo Jesus Martinez? Oswaldo came up here Sunday morning, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got this long text talking about this incredible experience he had, how God just came upon him and touched his heart and his life and gave him a new language. But, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at him. He's out there on the streets, if you've seen him. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you out there with him. He's out on the streets testifying. People walking by, driving by. Hey, free prayer, free prayer. Come on. You need to know Jesus Christ is out there preaching the gospel and teaching. Hallelujah. We need to be bold in the Lord. We need to be like a Paul. You don't have to be bald <laughs> or, or have runny eyes or be bow-legged. Maybe have a nose like mine. That would work out all right. <laughs> But we need to be faithful to, to obey what God has called us to do. Don't kick against the goads for God's destiny in your life, but be obedient to what God's called you to do. Father, this is a little tough tonight. I'm tired. And uh, I pray, Lord, you'll take the, this effort, take these words, Father, from Acts 25, 26, and, Lord, just make them alive to our hearts. It's, it's not just for 2,000 years ago. It's, it's for us today. And we see in this, we see politics. We see the regalia. We see all the dress and the pomp and the circumstances. It's all fantasy. It's all fantasy. <laughs> it's, not, it's all fantasy. But we see that this calls for people to stand up 
in Jesus' name. Stand against the politics of this earth and the, and the deep state and things that are anti-God, anti-Christ. Those who do not believe in Jesus and his resurrection to stand up anyway and proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Father. In Jesus' name and all God's people said amen and amen. Thank you for coming. God bless you. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.